Welcome to Machine Learning. PyTorch. Okay, so PyTorch follows a very similar pattern to most neural nets as you learn in college. Uh, you have an input layer, and let's say your input layer is uh, a, uh, a image or set of images. Okay, so what you want, because think of the input layer is just a array, so one long array. So the input layer would be, uh, let's say it's pixels 32 by 32 with three input, uh, three color channels for red, green, and blue. So you, the input layer would be 32 times 32 times three. So that'd be the size of your array that uh, uh, would represent the image coming in. And you can, uh, you can read, uh, you can do IM read to grab your, your image and uh, then you, you can either convert it into grayscale or color and uh, build your input array for, for um, so like, for example, if you're, you grab a, a um, image from the camera and then you can convert it into a array and then that can become the input into your PyTorch Nomad. So what you do is you build a class using NN module and uh, uh, extend that off NN module and then you initialize it with the uh, components for the input layer and then your hidden layer. Say like you have a hidden layer of 500 neurons, so then you'd have, uh, you'd have a linear and then it would, you'd set your input layer and then you'd have your 500 neurons. And then if you had a second layer, hidden layer, then you would have 500 and then if you have 10 classes, uh, like in a softmax, which you can use cross entropy loss, which is a combination of, uh, of uh, softmax and cross entropy. And that will, that will produce then your outputs, your class outputs. Class outputs are what uh, multi-label, what you're trying to predict, probabilities of what you're trying to predict. Very nice, I mean, you could do the exact same thing in Keras, uh, and in, if you understand the steps in Keras, you, you know, PyTorch uh, looks very, very similar. So then you set up your optimizer. We use an atom optimizer. Uh, and then we'll use uh, a stochastic uh, descent algorithm for loss. And then what the idea is you do a forward pass over your data and you calculate the error or the loss and the lower your loss, the more, the better your network is performing. And then we apply gradient descent, which is uh, attempting to determine the steepness of the function. So, what your neural net's actually doing is is finding function. A, uh, uh, is, they call it finding signal, but it's finding a function. And then, it, and it's on usually probably on a. Um, you can think of it as like on a t function, like like say like a parabola, and the steepness of the parabola 
is the change in X and change in Y, or the slope. And so you're going to get some sort of velocity or acceleration. Where acceleration is zero, then that means that you've hit, a, uh, you've hit some sort of minimum. It could be a local minimum, or it could be a global minimum. And so your learning rate uh, helps you avoid falling into these local minimums because you kind of like skip over the little bumps that might, you might get trapped in. And, uh, and so, uh, but the problem is is sometimes when you have a really big learning rate, you're descending really fast and, uh, and then you miss that, uh, you could miss that local, uh, you can miss the global minimums or yeah, minimum in your curve fitting. So the curve fit is actually a solution. So you're finding a solution to a generalized equation is what you're doing. And so, uh, the generalized equation can can express all different types of polynomial functions. So you could have a third order, which is three roots. You could have a four order, which is four roots. So it's uh, you know tangents are also a polynomial function, cosine, sine, etc. And so then you take you you calculate your losses. And then that gives you adjustments on those weights. So then you take your losses and your gradient, gradients adjustments, and uh, and then that and then what that does is those gradient adjustments move you closer to uh, a solution. So they reduce down your error, and that's the back propagation. So you do a back prop, and then you uh, adjust the weights, and then you. Uh, apply those those weights to the to the network. So then you run the epics, which are the number of cycles for the training. And at some point, then you can test your accuracy. You can look at your total loss divided by uh, total the total outcome, and it'll give you an accuracy. So that's PyTorch, and uh, very impressive. Not a lot of code to to get your neural net up and running. And, uh, and you're working with tensors. Uh, you, you, know, you, you, can do, you can do a lot of the, you can either let uh, PyTorch do the calculations for you, or you can set up all of your tensor matrices and use MapMall and uh, the sigmoid or activation functions, RELU, Sigmoid, Softmax, etc., to uh, do your activation at the hidden layers. And then what it will do is it will start finding those features in the data that uh, 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 help you then to recognize objects. So you can you can link it to labels and. And uh, so that would be then your classes. And the, the challenge is, is when you get like, you know, large numbers of labels versus a small number of labels and features. And uh, that then becomes uh, the deep learning algorithm. And the PyTorch is replacing support vector machines, uh, logistic regression, random forest, a lot of those machine learning algorithms designed for small amounts of data are now being replaced with by the neural nets. They're just better. They, they perform better. Um, and 
I guess in some cases you might be able to use an, an, an assembly and some sort of bagging uh, algorithm like an XGBoost and where it's learning from its error and uh, it's, it's picking up on uh, new data and adjusting. But uh, there's only a certain number of features that you can have on an XGBoost. I think 100 features is max. And so uh, you're going to have to defer back to something like PyTorch. And PyTorch is the new, the new hotness, I guess. And so uh, what I'm, I'm wanting to do is, is look at uh, you know, areas where SVM has uh, been strong and where uh, machine learning scientists, data scientists have used it, and then show how to replace it with PyTorch and how to you know, uh, use the different tools for assessing things like overfit, uh, bias, and then uh, understanding the hidden layers. What is What are the features that are being discovered in the hidden layers? Like for example, with image detection, uh, maybe the first layer is detecting uh, edges, and then the second layer is detecting uh, face contours. And so maybe those are the unique features that uh, uh, help identify objects. And then, you know, there's also the element of uh, K-nearest, you know, where you could use K-nearest algorithms in retail. What, you know, why can't you replace K-nearest with PyTorch? Use the neural nets. Neural nets are probably the optimum, optimum, optimum uh, algorithms. You know, and so how do you, how would you create a system of networks to do particular tasks? And, that, and that's that's important. Well, um, so the world of neural nets, you know, and I guess if you, you think about it, you need a job, learn machine learning, but if you need a job, maybe the, the new mantra should be, if you need a job, learn artificial intelligence, learn AI, AI slash ML. So what they're saying is, if you have a small amount of data, use ML because it's good enough, you know, it's fast, it's easy to put together those classifiers, you ingest your data, transform your data, normalize your data, uh, you know, set up your categories, and then once you have your categories, then run your fitness and, and predictions. Um, but if you, if you go beyond that, then if you have large amounts of data, then use, uh, then use the uh, PyTorch and neural net, Keras. And what the point with the uh, PyTorch is, is, you know, it's low level. It's like uh, you're working really close to the network. Um, you can, you can, uh, you can put, you can use convolution neural nets. You can use LSTMs there, or you can just use the simple neurons algorithms. And you can also use, uh, assembly or assemble for text so you can use count vectorizer or tfidf 
create matrices and you can you know get the weighted matrices distance equations on those on the words to each other so you can get proximity you can do n-gramming things like that that uh, uh, you can then combine words together so you you know you keep things in the proper context and I really see some value in the natural language processing business because it's uh, it's an area where companies have lots of text and the machine needs to understand what is being communicated in that text. And so, uh, you know, that's a, it's a, an important feature in a world where there's lots of uh, uh, communication that's going on. So it could be watching chatbots, it could be learning, uh, it could be learning what the employees are saying, and it could be drawing you their management attention to things that might be conversations that are going on that might be relevant to uh, business and so I saw that as one of the things that they're using as chatbots to to kind of talk and and I like I like instant messenger you know you can answer it when you're when you have time uh, it doesn't sit in your email box I don't like email because it you know oftentimes unless I'm watching the email or see the alert come up I don't necessarily see what uh, you know the 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 message that's going on. So these are um, things that are important. You know, changing of culture. We live in a, a information world, and that's going to be interesting over the next decade. They're saying that 85 million jobs now are going to be displaced to automation. So. <clears throat> That's a lot of jobs, and so that, you know, as I think about it, you know, and I think about how data is growing so so fast, maybe the shortage is logic. I don't know if it's data, but maybe it's logic. And uh, so if the shortage now is logic or skilled labor to understand data, then, um, uh, you know, getting that acceleration into understanding our AI and understanding uh, data analytics and statistics maybe is very important. And and, and uh, I still think that if we, that all this is running off statistics, uh, but the AI seems to kind of jump over the the performance of the statistics uh, because uh, you know in, in uh, neural machine learning it uh, it performs better. So they they take some of the uh, the translation, the human translations, and it learns from how the humans translate uh, the language, and then it applies that same learning to uh, new to uh, language to language, and it seems to do much better. It the, it reads easier, more like a, as if someone who is a human being did the translation versus if a machine did it. And as I think it kind of reminds me of the old days of voice synthesizers where, you know, you'd hear the, the robot speaking and you could tell it's a robot. Today, it's getting more and more difficult to tell what is uh, a robot voice versus a human voice, the Turing test. 